Hi, everyone. This is Derek Williams, and you're listening to the 10 Bound Sales Development Podcast. And this is a special series dedicated to researching and investigating technology that's driving success for SDR teams. We call it the Research Labs Series. And today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a very special guest, Christian Kletzel, the CEO and co-founder of User Gems. Now, I'm a big fan, which you'll learn in this interview, of User Gems, because many of you know how difficult it is to find trigger events and help in our SDR outreach from that respect, but User Gems has made it really easy, particularly around job change trigger events. So we're going to unpack that. To give it a little bit more overview, User Gems is an AI-driven prospecting solution for revenue teams that tracks whenever your customers change jobs and then automatically surfaces them up as a new prospect for your SDRs. Like many of our guests, Christian has a very impressive background. He spent time at Microsoft, McKinsey, Google, and prior to starting User Gems, he actually co-founded a company called Shelflip. So he's a founder a couple of times over. Really happy to have him on here. One interesting fact that you might find cool about Christian is he actually has a twin brother. And I think we're going to learn a little bit about him a little bit here in a moment too. So as some context for our discussion though, my first experience with User Gems was back in like 2019. I was leading up a sales development team in HG Insights. We were gearing up to go to the 10 Bound Sales Development Conference that year. Plug for 10 Bound there, of course. But Christian had reached out to me instead of meeting with me at the event. And it was really interesting because when he reached out to me in his email, his first touch, there was an image that he you know, sort of screenshot of him sharing how he was able to track customers, users at existing customers that I had that had moved on to another company. And I thought this was mind blowing. So I took the meeting at the conference shortly thereafter, HG Insights and User Gems entered into an agreement. Now you fast forward to March of this year, and I was engaging with one of our 10 bound clients, recommended User Gems, and lo and behold, they contracted again. So again, I'm a huge fan, but you know, given the state of the job market, I thought this conversation was more relevant than ever. We have a lot of things happening in our economy right now, and job changes is at the forefront. So Christian, thanks for being on the show. I'm happy to have you here. Amazing. Thank you so much for the introduction. Very excited to be here. Of course, of course. Now, give us a little glimpse into your background. And as I always like to ask, any key inflections along that journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so many. So the question is what to focus on. But so just originally, I'm from Austria. came here for business school, went to Chicago, did the business school there. I think the biggest inflection point for us is certainly, it's kind of like making it to San Francisco as Mm. the hub of technology, as like the thing that being in Austria is like, at one point, I want to be there. So I think that was one of them. And then just getting into Y Combinator. So that was really the thing that, and in this case, because you mentioned my my twin brother. So my twin brother is also my co-founder ever since Uh like pretty much Mm -hmm. 2013 still working together at UserGems as the co-founder. And for us, it was just getting into YC and really having this experience of starting a company. And you also mentioned Google. So basically came to the US, did my MBA, worked for Google for probably what is the shortest stint possible. So I was there for four months and then we got into YC, went there. And I think there are a bunch of more inflection points, I think specifically around like how we chose our current business. But yeah, I'm happy to chat about that. Well, well. let's just jump in. Why did you start User Gems? So I think that the best ones is really the ones where you can like experience the pain yourself Mm. or like the value that it can provide. And so when brother and I were working on a different startup. So it was a recruiting platform for companies who have like, the same investor, like very similar companies can share candidates that are a great fit, like great candidates with each other. And one of the things we saw is like one of our customers changed their job. 
And we noticed this, tracked them down and turned them into a customer again. And we thought, hey, this is really easy. And because we had a lot of data about candidates, like publicly available data about candidates, we were able to replicate this instead of public data for candidates, we could do public data for professionals. So in this case, we could then very simply look at all of our customers, get the professional information, and then track them for job changes. We actually, because we're Austrians, we actually rented a cabin in the woods in Austria and said, can we create this like alpha version within a week? So we're in the, in the mountains in, in a skiing cabin in Austria, and we're working on that product. Wow, what a visual. <laughs> that had been <laughs> awesome. Were you skiing though too in your downtime? Or Yes, I'm Austrian, so I can't... Like, I'm always saying I'm really bad for an Austrian and really good for an American. But yeah, I go skiing at least once a year, at least whenever I'm back. Jealous. Okay, very good. Okay, well, I mean, you have an interesting you know, vantage point on the job market. I thought we might talk about that here at the start. You know, From your vantage point, as someone who studies job change events, what's your perspective on the state of the job market in this great recession, as we're calling it? Yeah, I think it's so interesting how quickly we went from the great resignation where people were changing jobs because they wanted to and they were immediately finding like a lot of new job offers to a market where it might now be actually the opposite, where companies are thinking about downsizing. And I'm like a little bit more worried about my job these days than I was, let's say, a year ago. And I think for us, I think it's overall, it's a bigger trend of people changing their job more often. Like I think that has been clear every single year over the last like 20 years. And we specifically saw it like the last year, but ultimately the trend is still people are changing their job more often. And because of this, tracking them is more important than ever. But I think the difference between in like literally last year and this year is last year I was specifically tracking for the change of like who's leaving and where they're going. And this year it could actually be a little bit more important to tracking who's actually leaving. So kind of like we're looking at both elements on the who's leaving element. We look at mm. churn prevention. So this is my champion. He loves my product. And suddenly this person is gone. What does this mean to my term prevention? And then on the other hand, it's like where this person is going because that's a sales opportunity. And last year, we were looking at both. This year, especially on the term prevention, but certainly also as this person finds a new job, where, where they're ending up. There's a lot of you know noise happening in this space right now about the job markets and what's happening. And most often what we're talking about is you know what you mentioned earlier about there being so many offers and the leverage is in the employee's hands now and the employers are having to adjust. And now it seems like overnight we are you know, facing a recession as opposed to the great resignation. So it seems pretty finical. And yeah, I just, you know, very keen on understanding how that's going to affect sales and outcomes for teams. But let's go back to the top here a little bit for those that are you know new to user gyms. Why is it important to track job changes as a sales professional? Why is that sales trigger so materially important? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like just talking about in a sense, what we do is, yeah, we get the list of a company, like here are my champions, my power users, and then we track these people and let you know where they're moving to. And I think as if you look over the shoulder of, let's say, the best sales rep, the best SDR that you know, the one thing that they're always doing is like they track their own relationships and they track their own customers. So they're already doing this manually on LinkedIn. And the reason they're doing this is because it's one of the most powerful sales plays. Like if you look into it, you have 
5x response rate. Like we see ourselves response rates of over 50% across all of our customers. It's always like 5x the response rate that you typically see. And then if you look at the opportunity rate, it's somewhere in the range of like 3 to 5x, the typical opportunity rate. And it totally makes sense. Like this person already knows their product. So, so much of our work as an SDR is actually getting through the noise, right? Like there's so many vendors that are reaching out. So how can I get through the noise? So the number one thing is actually what is a relationship that I have to this person. And the best one is I already, like, I know this person, they know my product because then it's just more a conversation around, could this product be interesting for you at the new company as well? Right, right, right. So, I mean, that's definitely talking about, you know, contact tracking. Now, what is account tracking and calendar tracking? I noticed that on your website as product offerings. Yes. So contact tracking focuses on the individual, like this person knows the product and I track the individual. Account tracking focuses more on my target accounts. So I want to know what is going on in my target accounts. Hmm. And it's very interesting because it's kind of like very similar, but it's, let's assume this company, like a new CMO joins, or maybe a CMO leaves, or maybe a VP of sales joins. These events, these trigger events, means that there is now movement in which tools they want to buy and evaluate. Like if a CMO joins, there's actually a statistic that says, in the first 90 days, I'm using 70% of my yearly budget. I mean, wow. we all know this, right? Like wow. if we start a new job, we want to make an impression. And I like, knew it was staggering, but 70% of their budget for the yeah. first year. Yeah. Let's underscore that. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, I want to get in there. Like if I'm a vendor, I want to get in there. Like, there's so many reasons why, right? But we all know the uphill battle. Like if my competition is already in there, they already painted the picture of what the product should be doing. So now it's an uphill battle. So to start with, I want to be first, but just generally because there's so many budget evaluations going on in the first 90 days, the earlier I can act on this, the better. So, and I think this is then where like it kind of like account tracking is a lot focused on kind of like a job change into my target accounts or a little bit out of it, but yeah. Well, okay. That's massive. And we knew, you know, job changes were critical for outreach as an SDR, but there's some data here that supports that. Now, I, again, want to kind of change the paradigm a little bit, because we're talking about new customer acquisition and we're talking about tracking happy customers, but what about those deals where there's maybe not so much of a fan blocking the deal, right? And then they finally leave the company. Wouldn't an SDR want to be able to maybe reach out to the person who's new, newly incoming to that target account as well, kind of switching you know, the penny over, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think there are two elements here, right? Okay. Like, so would we track like in open opportunities or maybe even closed last opportunities, we track those people as well. And as you say, this could be because like they had a good experience. It just, maybe they didn't have budget. Maybe it wasn't the right fit and they could be the right fit at the next company. But as you say, this could be the detractor. And then I flag them differently. And then I want to get notified the second they left. And I mean, I know that like, there's, we literally closed a deal this month where exactly this happened. So the, the detractor <laughs> left, we got a notification and like we were celebrating, okay? And then we closed that deal. But on the other hand, I think that it's also really important that where's this person going? And like, there's obviously a danger if let's say I'm prospecting to this account, but there could be an equal danger if they join a customer account. Because now I know like this is where it's like, this is where we send notifications to the customer success manager. Like make sure like 
obviously you should always be engaged with accounts that are assigned to you. But if a detractor comes, like this, this is now high alert, and I need to go in and make sure that I convince them per- this person now with like life data in a sense. Well, yeah, this whole time we we're thinking about champions, and you know, yeah, detractors, but. Yeah, detractors to a happy customer and then watching that MPS score go down as a result, maybe. Gosh, that would hurt. But, you know, is there things that people that you suggest that companies do if a detractor was to join? I mean, that's just organic here in this conversation. I mean, how do you advise that you manage that situation? Yeah, I think it's mostly around like in the customer success, we have like, we have our playbooks, like first quarter, we do this second, third, do this. And I think typically we focus on the first quarter and the fourth quarter, right? Like on onboarding and then on renewal. And In this case, it's just really important that the second I learn about this, I go in and have my proactive meetings. And because the good thing is in a sales conversation, all I have is a vision, like here's how successful the company can be. But the good thing about if they're already a customer, I can directly address to him with like, here's what we've achieved together. And here's why we want to have a happy future together. So you're in a different situation, in a better situation. But the important thing is certainly that act on this as quickly as possible. Yeah. Being able like to be aware of it so you can be proactive and get in front of it and you know plan accordingly. You might be able to mitigate something as a result. Good call yeah. out there. Now, one thing that I see that user Jim touts is that you update millions of contacts every month and customers will always have the latest data. So, you know, anybody who's bought data before and implemented it into their business has a story to tell and yeah. mostly good, I think, and sometimes not the greatest. So how do you originate your data? How do you ensure it's accurate? And third layer, how is it different from buying data from like Zoom info or yeah. LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I even mentioned like the best reps that currently do this on LinkedIn, taking this one question at a time, but I think just focusing on LinkedIn and Zoom info to the two big ones question we get all the time. So LinkedIn obviously has all the data. Like the problem is less actually about having the data. It's more about creating a workflow that automates as much as possible. LinkedIn wants you to stay in LinkedIn and they send you really good notifications, but that's it. And then there are so many more manual steps that I need to be doing in addition to actually not having the professional email address. And so we can talk like for us, like 90% of our CSM work is actually making sure that if a job change happens, someone actually actions them. Mm. And for us, it's the whole difference between being successful with user terms and not. Like if we give you a job change and if we don't have the right workflows in place and the right training, then ultimately it means that you're not going to be successful with user terms because like if this job change is sitting in your Salesforce, then nothing happens with it. Yeah, data is table stakes, as you mentioned. Yeah, so data, like it's not completely the case, but we <laughs> assume it, like if we assume data is table stakes, it's all about the workflow. And especially as an SDR, I have so many different tasks that I need to be doing, so many right. different tools that I need to be logging in. So if someone tells me, hey, like in addition to all these tasks that you're already doing, please also go into LinkedIn 14 times a day and check for job changes. And I maybe do this the first three days. And at some point I stop doing this. And that's where we come in and say, it's not about the job change. It's not about the data. It's about the workflow. Ultimately. Yeah. We want, if there's a workflow, we want this to automatically be pushed in a sequence and the rep only has to look through the emails in that sequence or cadence. Love it. And so talk to us about the data origination or acquisition to whatever degree you can. You know, what I understand is sort of a LinkedIn-based technology or I know some of this is kind of the secret sauce. So whatever you can share with us. Yeah, certainly some of it is. And 
the good part of this question is it also answers a little bit how it's different to ZoomInfo. It's a different approach. So ZoomInfo has a large database. Like they decided, I want to have a database. I want people to be able to search in it and have like a decent quality in this. Versus the decision we made in our design is that we actually don't have a database. If you tell me like, I want to track these people, then we every month go out there and get the most up-to-date information. So it's not a database. It's kind of like, we know that this is the most up-to-date information that we provide. So, and the data origination for us is we go out there, we query, we Google, we have publicly available information from LinkedIn that we scrape. So it's a combination of a lot of like, public data, but the important part is it's public data that is always up-to-date because I think actually like, let's say 10 years ago. I imagine there's some very disciplined practices. There's some data science mixed in there every month to make sure that it's market ready, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually really difficult because like in a sense, in a Zoom info, if you tell me like, hey, track this person, they check in a database. A database query is really easy versus going out there, finding the most up-to-date data is actually really complicated for like these millions of records. So yeah, that's a lot of our technology that focuses on that. Very good. Now, you mentioned churn prevention earlier a couple of times, and I think it's important that we spend a little extra time there. Can you talk more about how User Gems is helping to prevent you know, churn within customer base? Mm-hmm. I have another statistic there. So the number two reason for churn is a champion leaving. So number one is bad onboarding. So there's something to be learned here mm. as well of the importance. But number two is a champion. And I think we've seen this all the time. It's like this person really loves the product. They used it religiously and then they're gone. And the worst part is it could also be that they be who are they replaced with? It could be that this is like maybe this person comes from a company that used my competitor. So now this new CMO comes in. So this means once again, it's all about knowing as early as possible that my champion is leaving. And then for us, once again, this is a flag, this is high alert. There's a, if my champion leaves, then we go in and we meet with this account to make sure like, did your goals change? Like, are we on track to fulfill your goals? How is user champs delivering for you? What is it that we can do to make it even better? And obviously you should always have these conversations, but for us immediately that puts it in high prior. Very good. Well, I like touching on the multiple ways that we can, you know, garner value from these implementations. You know, sometimes, you know, we are singularly focused on driving new pipeline generation. And that's what this show is all about and what we focus on as a firm. But in that, when we have solutions where you can maximize your investment in multiple ways and sort of multi-threaded, I think it's important that we call that out. And just a triple check there a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about what champion lifetime value means and how that's measured. That's a term that's new to me. Yes. So I think that's one that is, I think, getting more and more importance. Like every one of us knows about customer lifetime value. So I get a customer, they stay for several years and therefore they renew several years. And that's the, ultimately the value that, that came from them and how much money they spent. But now with people changing their job more and more, it's actually very interesting. So I get a customer, maybe that customer stays for a while, but the person that purchased me or that, that used the product, they move on to a new company every three, four years now on average. And that's where they make new purchasing decisions. So if we now look at actually the value of an individual buyer, it could be much, much higher because like even our organization, we're a young company, we have people that purchased us for the third time. So we have people with like a lifetime value of over 150,000 already. 
And I think if you think about this in terms of turning your sales process from I'm selling to an organization to I'm selling actually to individuals, then this means it's so much more important to make all these relationships. And the question is actually, how can I make more relationships? It's once it turns it from how can I make an organization happy as a customer to how can I make an individual happy as a user? And this means that it could even go further, like, product should be involved in this like product should to make sure instead of just like obviously delivering value to the organization but how can i turn more people into champions because that's my revenue for the future well that is a mind shift i think for some folks it was for me the first time we kind of touched on that champion lifetime value selling to people not organizations go figure right (laughs) it's definitely a paradigm shift i think yeah, in so many ways, we can always learn from B2C motions because mm. ultimately we're selling to individuals, but we still think we sell to organizations. True. Okay. Well, let's switch gears. If I was an SDR at an organization that had just adopted user gems, brand new, day one, like what do I do? How easy is it to get going on user gems if I'm an SDR? Yeah. So, I mean, Preferably, we work with your like sales leadership team and with your rev ops team to set everything up in the background. And that's where really this kind of like the data is table stakes and it's all about the workflow. So preferably, we set it up in a way where if there's a job change into your target accounts, that they get pushed into your outreach sequence automatically. So which means I, as an SDR, I get a notification, I go into outreach, and then I see the prepared email that says, hey, your experience with us at like your past company. And then for me, I want to go in, I want to maybe check out like how good of a customer was this person, like any NPS score, any usage that I have. And I can say, hey, congratulations on the job change, really awesome switch. Notice you used us here. Since then, we've added these two functionalities, one of which could be really interesting for a new company. So I can add a little bit of a personalization in this, and then I hit send. And this whole email, like it can be automatic, but it's actually very, very easy to like, add some personalization and then expect a really big. Uh, well, you have the context. The context has been created effectively. So yeah, should you know, there's yeah. not a whole lot more additional research that's needed. You already know who the person is, where they're coming from, and kind of the stuff that we typically layer in for relevance. So you know, I love that. Now we're going to talk about integrations too, and I think that double clicks on the workflow piece. So. You have a native integration with Salesforce. I noticed that you also have Outreach, SalesLoft, HubSpot, Slack, and some marketing automation tools. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Salesforce piece a little bit? Is that using like Flow Process Builder for those workflows? And and is your team doing that for our Salesforce admin or are you holding their hand? Can you get a little tactical for me there? Yeah, absolutely. So we want to deliver a white glove service. So, I mean, we are fully integrated in Salesforce. We have an app on the app exchange you install and all the elements are already there. So there's already a flow there, but we book time with our Salesforce admin and we set it up with you. It's basically, and really that factor differentiates, like I would say also like the success we're seeing, because ultimately as mentioned, the flow is actually the most important one. And one of the really good things, like if I want to be like this grade A student as an SDR, what I can actually do is because so our integration, it not only pushes into Salesforce for outreach, but it also shows me on my target accounts, a list of all my past users. So this means that if I'm selling to this organization, I can see, hey, like I have already four past users in here, which means obviously I reach out to these four, but I can also reach out to the manager, for example. So if I have, let's say, four AEs that joined this organization. And let's say I'm Salesloft. I have four AEs that used Salesloft at their previous company. I reach out to the AEs. 
asking for an intro, but you can also reach out to the VP of sales and can tell them, hey, it looks like four people already used Salesloft in the past. And now like this means that they can immediately get started. Like if you purchase Salesloft, these people are already up and running on the first day. So very high adoption. And this means that in pretty much every account, I can have a very personalized outreach to pretty much every person. I love that. You know, what you just described sounds like we, you know, in the enterprise and in mid-market motion, you're trying to create groundswell a lot of times within the account. And one way you do that is creating hallway conversations where you get internal stakeholders talking about your solution or that use case. And, you know, that's key right there. What you just described, I think would probably be an email forwarded to those four AEs and say, what do you think about sales law? Should we bring it in? I love that. And yeah. if we're all about making that relevance and research as smooth and easy as possible, what we just heard about that workflow and connecting the dots all the way to the sequence from identification through staging and through to the engage element in the framework, it's all happening automatic in the background. And you can have an automatic email go out. You can insert some mild personalization if you like. It's really up to your discretion. But that workflow is what in that automation is what really gets you that scale and gets you to, you know, sort of. 2x, 4x, 5x, 50x, I've heard with your results, right? Yes. Yeah. And I love this, like the groundswell and we want the water cooler conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that. I need to add that into our sales conversations. There you go. It's exactly what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Very good. So as we kind of close or round the corner, I should say, it's helps to do us if I'm a sales leader, I go to market leader and I have an SDR team, a sales team, you know, that could benefit from a customer success team for that matter, yes. as we talked about right? Revenue operations, whatever the role is. If I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about bringing user gems into my environment, can you talk to that person a little bit about how the pricing is structured? You don't have to give us a quote, but how does it work? Mm -hmm. So we price based on the number of job changes we identify. So it's really like how close to the value can we be that we provide for you. Mm -hmm. So typically what we do in our conversation is we walk you through like, who are the people you would want to track? And it's typically, you obviously think of opportunity contacts, like that's a given, but oftentimes we let you think like, who are the power users? Like in our case, the SDRs that love the product, we track them as well. Might not be a decision maker at the next job, but they can certainly influence. So we work with you on who are these people. And then we actually, like you can send us a list and we identify how many people have changed. And typically it's somewhere in the range of like 15 to 25% of your people have, like of your users, champions have already changed. And based on this, we then make a quote for you, but we charge per job change. And it's like in the like single dollar range of what you, in a sense, per this like high quality lead that we provide for you. And how are customers measuring success with user gems? It's all about the close one. So what we do, like we have a dashboard where we show you, here's the number of opportunities you've created, and here's the revenue you've created. And really that is the important number. So direct attribution to user gems, not just a before and after statistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we tell you, this opportunity came because you reached out to this person and that's how much revenue you generated. And I mean, we see all sorts, but we have customers that have a 50X in closed one revenue. And that's a huge success for us. Like we have a winning channel for our own success, but in that winning channel, we also celebrate if our customers close deals, because ultimately if they are successful, so are we. Love it. Okay. Well, you're aligned and that's what we like to see. Well, this is a time where we get to know you a little bit better and bring it full circle. This is a sales development oriented podcast. And we're curious, can you talk to us about your SDR team? How's it structured? 
How big is it? Anything you can kind of tell us that might be unique, even in nature, about your team? Yeah, perfect. So maybe quick background on the company. So we're right now 45 people. We were probably around 20 at the beginning of the year. So we have a big growth curve right now. SDR team grew from, I think, maybe two at the beginning of the year to seven right now. Nice. And for us, the SDR team is part of marketing. I'm actually curious how common that is. Is it like 50-50? Most often, that's what I'm still seeing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because for us, it's all about like demand generation and whether kind of like it's inbound or outbound. Correct. That's marketing. And therefore for us... And stage as well. I feel like stage of growth matters in the business maturity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and then, then there's like, other factors, skill set and different things, resources, philosophical beliefs. It's a big discussion. We could probably go oh, on, for on sure. about that. Yes. No, I think like for us, they're marketing. I think that okay. that's great for us, like because it means... It's like very much aligned with all of our marketing activities. So I think the one thing that we did already from day one of a company is that if our SDRs have target accounts, and at the same time, always, we also advertise to them on all channels, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, like wherever they are. So truly so, account-based and omnipresent. 100%. And it makes all the difference because like if they are calling a prospect, they can assume that this prospect saw our ad. Like we follow you, we find you. And therefore it makes the life of the SDR so much easier because like I can have a conversation. They have a small picture already from us. Seen. Like the email that I sent you of like, hey, like we found a job change based on the person that gave you a testimonial. So we go to the website of this company, go through the testimonial, find a job change that uniquely said like, hey, I love your company. And then we put out an ad with that. And so the SDR already can assume that the person they're talking to already saw this. And it's a much, much easier conversation. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, you know, drinking your own beer, leading with your own offering. Well, I guess in closing, is there any other technology that is supporting your team? You know, we definitely want to investigate technologies driving success with SDR teams. Is there a technology that your team is using to drive success as well? Yes. So we are all all about relationships, right? So in, like in, in our product and what we are doing, and there's a really cool product that we are using for relationships specifically like also actually investor relationships mm-hmm. so it's called cabal and what we do there is when we have target accounts we can look into who of our investors has a connection to the sales and marketing leaders of our target accounts and if there's a relationship then that's actually the first thing we do like we reach out to the investor and say hey we're targeting this company see you're connected to the CMO there could you make an introduction mm-hmm. Yes, you are all about relationships. And you know, for those that are listening and you're wondering what's the best way to gain access into a new account, it's through an introduction. And what Christian just described sounds like a great tool that can help with that. This has been very enlightening, I think. For anybody who hasn't already heard of User Gems, where can they find you? How do you suggest they reach out and get started with User Gems? Absolutely. You find us on usergems.com and hopefully on the ads that you're seeing on LinkedIn if we're targeting you. And then if you have any questions for me, it's Christian, like the religion, at usergems.com. There you go. All right. Well, thank you very much, Christian. This is Derek Williams, everyone. You've been listening to the 10 Bound Sales Development Podcast, and this is the Research Lab series dedicated to investigating technology driving success with SDR teams. You have a great day. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. 
Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.